We, as we work our way through the book of Judges, our title is Kingless, and this is what happens when God's people have no authority, when they have removed themselves from the authority of God and they have gone their own way. It is, um, I hope so far that you agree with me, it's a fun book, isn't it? It takes a bit of work, but that work is worth it. But what you find is with each uh, passing story, if you've grown up in church, some of these names are somewhat familiar to you. Maybe even some of these stories are familiar to you, but perhaps you've never really studied them before. And if you're new to the church, if you're new to really studying God's word, then I think you'll find that maybe God's word is more surprising than you thought. It's not as stuffy as maybe as you thought it was. And that is certainly true of our passage this morning. So what I'd like to do before I pray is to read it. Uh, we're not going to look at the entire chapter, just the first 18 verses in detail. Uh, and I'd like to read all 18 verses. It's going to take just a second to get through, but it's an amazing story. A story that, again, if you've grown up in church, maybe you've kind of heard bits and pieces of, but maybe really not, never studied before. And then if you're new to the church, you're new to studying God's Word, a story that I think you will be amazed by. So as I read this story, again, it's a narrative I want you to imagine it, really picture it in your mind. Uh, as we wake up this morning, as you're drinking coffee, really allow this story to not just um, penetrate right here, but to really imagine it and to let it penetrate here. So this is God's word for us. This is Judges chapter seven. Then Jerubbael, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of then by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people saying whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. And he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And they sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then they went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were within the camp. And the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. Their camels were without number, as the sand that is in the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. 
And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled in the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it, so it fell and turned it upside down. So the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian on all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. He returned to the camp in Israel and said, arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. He divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in the hands of all of them in empty jars with torches inside the jars and said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. This is God's word for us this morning. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that not only is it true, it's also trustworthy. And that you have gifted us your word so that we might be changed. We pray that this morning as we study an amazing passage, an incredible story, we wouldn't just be amazed by the story, but we would be amazed by you, God. And that we would see that there is so much of ourselves that we can see in Gideon. But more than that, that you are the same God today as you were then. And so we do pray that you, by your mercy, would humble us so that we might worship you as Gideon worshipped you. That we might face any battle and anything in front of us, even sin itself, knowing that you are the one who's strengthened us and given us every assurance through your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, um, if you're like me, you tend to be the kind of person who doesn't like show-offs. You like that? Those kinds of people that you interact with, and maybe they're people in uh, your office. Maybe you have somebody like this in your family who tends to, when they enter into a room, they kind of suck up all the oxygen and they begin to just kind of um, tell you about their resume over and over and over again, all the things they've accomplished, all the things that they've ever done. Uh, these are the kind of people that if you're sitting around a campfire after a hunt, they're the ones who dominate the conversation and tell you stories of every hunt they've ever been on and everything they've ever killed. Or if you're a fisherman like me, uh, these are the people that tell the best fishing stories and they're always incredibly exaggerated. And if you're like me this morning and you don't like people who tend to be a show off and take credit for things and tell lots of stories, you're also like me in that you tend to be that guy. <laughs> that as it turns out, we're all a little bit that way. We tend to also be competitive. There's a way, particularly as men actually, that we like to one-up each other, right? Uh, that if we hear somebody telling a fish story, we also got one of our own somewhere. And if we don't have one of our own, we're going to make one up pretty quick. You see, we like to kind of beat our chest. We, we like to tell stories. We like to show off. There's a word that describes this, but the word that doesn't sound as good as all of that, as hard as maybe some of that is, and it's the word boast. To boast, to be boastful, to be braggadocious, to say, look at me. Look what I've done. And this is deep in us, I think, as human beings, as men. I think it goes all the way back to when we were kids. Uh, one of my favorite seasons of the year 
is Christmas. And if you have kids, you've seen this. If you've got grandkids, you see it now. Or maybe you can remember what, like, what this was like when you were a kid. That, that Christmas morning for a small kid, that once they get everything, what's their next move? What are they going to do with all of their stuff? You know what they do? They show it off. They show it to their siblings. They show it to their neighbors. They show it to their friends and they compare. They begin to brag and say, look what I got. And here's what's so hilarious about a scene like that. Is not one of those children did anything to earn any of those presents. And yet they're saying, look at me. In many ways, I think today, as adult men, we are doing the same thing each and every day. We're like little kids who've just been given a ton of gifts for Christmas, and we're saying, look at me. <laughs> look what I have, when none of us have done anything to earn it. And such is not just the story of our lives, but it's really the story of our salvation. And it's the story that we're going to look at this morning in Gideon. As we've seen in the book of Judges so far, the book of Judges is really the story of God rescuing his people as they over and over and over again return to sin and idolatry. And yet, because it's called Judges, because these stories, so many of them are incredible, we are tempted to think about the judges themselves as the hero. But as we'll see this morning as we look at Gideon, there is so much that we might see in ourselves in Gideon, and a lot of it is not that great. Because the story of Gideon is really the story of God. That really God is once again the hero. So this morning what I wanna see, and the first thing, is that we are prone to boast in ourselves. Every one of us, just like Gideon, and just like all people throughout history. We are prone to take credit instead of giving credit where credit is due. So I want you to begin with me, Judges 7, verse one. This is where we're gonna begin. We are prone to boast in ourselves. It says, then Jerubbael, that is Gideon, and that name comes from Judges 6. And again, that name in Hebrew just means contends with Baal. And it was given to Gideon because he had struck down the altars of Baal, and, and so it was like, look, just, just let Baal contend with him. Because it, already we're kind of seeing what Gideon is like. He, he wants to be faithful, but as we're gonna see this morning, he was pretty complicated. That if you look at Gideon just with a, a one single incident of his life, you're gonna get a limited picture of just how complicated his faith really was, because it's just like yours and mine. Not only was Gideon faithful, but he had a ton of fear. So Jerubbael, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, they rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Now stop there. Notice what God says to Gideon. The people with you are too many. Not too few, but they are too many for me to deliver Midian into your hand. I want you to think about that. Normal wisdom, normal convention would say they're, they're too few. Midian were later told it was almost like locusts. 
Right? As many sand are on the seashore, that's how many they had. Uh, we're told later in Judges 8 that they had around 135,000 troops. That's how many Midian had. How many did Israel have? About 32,000. They're outnumbered by over 100,000 troops, and yet God says, Gideon, you're not too few. No, my problem with your army, Gideon, is you're too many. You're outnumbered, and you still have too many. Why? Notice what God says in the second part of verse 2. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. We are prone to boast in ourselves. Israel had a long history of boasting in themselves, even when God was the one who delivered them. And what I want you to begin to wrestle with this morning is that you and I are no different. And God recognizes this not only in Gideon, but in the people of Israel. And so he's saying, look, I don't want you to be able to take credit for anything that's about to happen. I know that if I deliver you, once again, you are going to boast. You're going to take credit. You're going to tell stories for generations and say, look at mighty Gideon and this army of 32,000 men who were able to overcome an army of 135,000 men. Look at their strength. Look at their valor. Look at their courage. When all along, God is the one who did it. What I want you to begin to wrestle with this morning is that every single thing in your life is being enacted upon by a sovereign God. Everything. That God is at work in your life. The same God that we read in the book of Judges is the same God today who's at work in our lives. And as you look back on your life and the history of your life, and you look back at your own accomplishments, and you look back at your own resume, here's the question for you. Who really gets the credit? When you boast, what are you really boasting in? Everything that's happened in your life is because there is a sovereign God who loves you and is working all things together for good. Now, some of you this morning are saying, yeah, and I'm looking back at my life, and there's not a lot of good. I'm looking back at my life and my resume, my story. It's not a great one. What then? Well, again, as we see in just a second, God has a way of working everything together for our good. Sometimes those are blessings, and sometimes those are incredible hardship. But all the while, not only is our God sovereign, but he's a God who loves us. You have a sovereign God who not only holds all things together and is working all things together for your good, you have a sovereign God who loves you and wants you to be his son. And so why are you taking credit? Just like me, why do you boast? 
Why do you say, look at me and look what I've done? We are prone to boast on ourselves because we are prone to try to save ourselves. We're prone to try to face problems head on. We are prone to try to rescue ourselves in any way that we can. And so often, everything, perhaps even everything you're about to go do as you leave today and go to work and go study and go accomplish the task that you're about to do is as an attempt to rescue yourself, to build up your resume so that you could say, look at me, look what I have done. You and I, we are prone to boast in ourselves just like the people of Israel. Yet God has called us not to boast in ourselves but recognize he is the only one who can rescue us. Apostle Paul put it this way, Ephesians 2 verse 8. Notice what Paul says. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Salvation is not something you and I can do on our own. We need a rescuer, just like the people of Israel needed rescue. They were outnumbered and outmatched. You and I, we are surrounded. And our enemy is not 135,000 troops. It's a broken and fallen world that's not just around us, but it's in us as well. We need to be rescued from sin. And notice what Paul says. You can't do it on your own. You are saved through faith and not by works. And then notice what he says next. So that no one can boast. You and I have no business boasting or taking credit for the work that only God can do. God looked at Gideon and he said, I'm going to rescue you. Once again, I'm going to save you from the mess that you got yourself into. Israel was surrounded by the Midianites because of their idolatry. And yet God in his mercy was going to rescue them. But he wanted them to know that he alone is the author of salvation. So this is what he did. Verse 3. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people return and 10,000 remain. So again, Midian has 135,000 troops, Israel about 32,000. Now how many do they have? Now they're cut down to 10,000. Now they're even more outnumbered. But not only does God, are we prone to boast in ourselves, the second thing I want you to notice is that God has a way of humbling us for our good. Notice what happens next in verse 4. The Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. I love that. I want you to really put yourself in Gideon's shoes at this point, if you haven't already. <laughs> Start with 32,000. How do you think Gideon feels about that? As he considers what's up against him, he knows he's outnumbered by 100,000 troops. Really, what do you think he thinks about that? He's terrified. And now he's down to 10,000. What do you think he thinks about that? And then now he hears God come to him again and say, you're still too many. It's still too big. This isn't going to work, Gideon. It needs to be smaller. 
So this is what he did. He said, take them down to the water and I'll test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one will go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go, shall not go. I almost picture uh, a playground of people about to play dodgeball or a pickup game of basketball, you know, where there's two teams, you have two team captains, you're saying choose one and the other. Except what Gideon's getting, he's getting the worst deal, right? These are the leftovers, these are the scraps. And God is saying, look, I'm in charge. I get to decide who's on your team and who's not. Again, what do you think Gideon is thinking at this point? What's going through his mind? Verse five, so he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. So there's a pool that these 10,000 have come to. And it's not a very big pool. Uh, some of you have been to Israel, you've seen it, I've seen it myself. And as they come to, to get a drink, God gives a test. And there's been many who've kind of speculated, now why this particular test? And the test is this, if they kneel down for a drink like this and they pick up the water, well that's one group of people. The others, if they just kind of kneel down like this and they cup their hands and then lap it out like this, that's the other group. And some have speculated, well, maybe what God was doing was to kind of weed out the worst, right? That anyone who's going to kneel down, gosh, I mean, they're probably tired. They must be weak soldiers. I mean, gosh, I mean, how would you do that? You're going to kneel down? No, he was after the strong ones, the ones who had strong backs, the ones who would just kneel down like this. But I don't think that's what God is doing. I think God is doing exactly what he says he's doing. He wants to reduce Gideon's army to such a small number that the only way that you could get through what's about to happen is to say God is the one who delivered us. You see, because God has a way by his mercy to humble us. He is humbling Gideon. Verse six, the number of those who lapped, put their hands to their mouths was 300 men. 10,000 has just become 300. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, every man to his home. Again, put yourself in Gideon's shoes. I think so often it's easy, again, we look at stories like Gideon the book of Judges, and we, we picture these almost like comic book characters who are, who are just larger than life. But Gideon was a real man. And what we're about to see is he was a complicated man, a man who wanted to trust the Lord, but he was a man just like you and me. And you would almost question a man's sanity if at this point they weren't completely afraid 300 men going up against 135,000. And you say, well, look, look what God said, verse seven. He said, with the 300 men, I will save you and give the Midianites. And I will, not I might, but I will. God made Gideon a promise. Shouldn't Gideon have trusted the Lord? Well, of course. But look at yourself. As I look at myself, how often 
do we go through this life knowing God's promises for us, knowing God is who he says he is, and yet when we look at our surrounding enemies, when we look at our own circumstances, how often are we filled with fear? Gideon was a fearful and a faithful man. He was complicated, just like you and me. And what God is doing here in this moment is he's humbling him to expose his fear. Look with me, verse eight. So the people took provision in their hands and their trumpets. The rest were sent away, every man to his tent, but retained 300 men. And the camp of Midian went below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. God knows that Gideon is afraid. And he is reducing his army to 300 men, not just to prove his power, but I think he's doing this to expose Gideon's fear so that he can strengthen his faith. I think this story is as much about Gideon's heart as it is about Israel being delivered as it is about 300 fighting 135,000. Really the number of this story is really one. It's Gideon, a man with a complicated soul wrestling in his heart between fear and faith. And God, out of his grace, is humbling him so that he would expose his fear. I think often when we think of someone who's boastful, we typically think that that person must be prideful and arrogant and full of himself. But I want you to think about the last time that you really kind of pounded your chest. The last time you took credit for something, the last time you told a tall tale or a story, and how often is it that when we boast, our boasting is born not out of a place of pride, but a place of insecurity and a place of fear. That was Gideon. He was fearful, he was insecure. He's looking at what's about to happen, 300 versus 135,000, and he is afraid. And now look at God's response to Gideon. If you are afraid, then go down. Go down to the camp with Pearl, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down to the camp. Gideon was afraid. And so God responded out of grace by giving him assurance. That's the third and final thing that I want to look at this morning before we go to our groups. If we're prone to boast in ourselves and God by his mercy humbles us, then really what that results in is that we would not boast in ourselves, that we'd boast in the Lord. And for those of you, as you look back on your life and your story, and it's filled with hardship and difficulty, and maybe that's even right now, if we have a God who's not only sovereign but loves you, could it be that he is, out of his grace, humbling you so that your heart would change and it would move from a place of fear to a place of faith. So that your boasting in yourself might give way to boasting in the Lord. That's what we see in Gideon's story. So Gideon goes down to the camp. And as he goes down to the camp, this is what we read, verse 12. 
Notice again what it says, this 135,000, how uh, Judges describes it. The Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. So again, here's Gideon, he's afraid. And God says, well, just go down to the camp. I'll strengthen your faith. (laughs) He goes down to the camp and now he sees the army. I think he's probably even more afraid at this point. And Gideon came, verse 13, and behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came down to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down. And the tent lay flat. The comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. This is amazing. It's almost as amazing as the entire story. So Gideon goes down to the camp. He happens to overhear two soldiers talking. And clearly God of Israel, the one true God, has given them a dream. Not really for their benefit, but for Gideon's. Because notice what he overhears. God is speaking through two Midianite soldiers directly to Gideon. First, there's a dream. A loaf of barley bread rolls down the hill into a Midianite tent and lays it flat. Now, barley bread would have been a very cheap kind of bread, the kind of bread that Israel would have been eating at this point as a people who were oppressed and surrounded, a people who had nothing. And so it's very symbolic, it's clear that this is Israel and it's a loaf of bread. This is not, you know, some chariot. This is not an army. It's a loaf of barley bread, a symbol of poverty. And this loaf of barley bread rolls into the camp of Midian and lays it flat. Because that's the kind of God that we have. Who will use our most meager efforts for his glory. This loaf of barley bread lays Midian flat. And then notice what they say to one another Words directly for Gideon. This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Notice what happens next, verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, what did he do? He worshiped. His boasting in himself had become boasting in the Lord. He worshiped. His fear had become strengthened. God had strengthened his fear to make it now faith. What I want you to see is that God's response to Gideon's fear and faithlessness was not to take his promises back. But God responded to Gideon's faithlessness by being faithful still and assuring, assuring him even in the midst of his fear. And so my question for you this morning is, what are you afraid of? What are you most afraid of? And as you think about the things you boast in most, how are the things you boast in directly tied to your fear? And once you begin to see that we have a God who rather than leave you in a place of fear, out of his grace and mercy will humble you to expose your fear. And to show you that he is the one who can rescue us out of any situation. What happens next is where, if you've heard the story, um, 
It's amazing. As Gideon is now strengthened and he worships, he then, verse 16, gives instructions to his 300 men. He divides them into three different companies of 100 each, and he hands them a torch and a pot in one hand and a trumpet in the other. And then they divide up into three groups of 100 and they surround the camp. A trumpet in one hand, a torch and a pot in the other. Now, if you have a torch in one hand and a trumpet in the other, what are you not carrying? You're not carrying any weapons. <laughs> so not only are they 300 against 135,000, the weapons that they're going to take into battle is a trumpet and a torch. Again, it's not just a story about Gideon, but what about these men? If Gideon was afraid, what do you think they were feeling? And here they are following Gideon's command, 300. And as these companies come in, as Gideon gives the signal, they blow their trumpets, they break the pots, they light the torches. And as Midian looks around and they hear this commotion, they hear the trumpet blasts of 300 men. They see these torches surrounding them. Now they are filled with fear and they begin to fight one another. And God miraculously delivers Midian into the hand of Israel. It's an incredible story. But what I want you to see this morning is it's really a story about God's deliverance. Not just delivering his people Israel, and delivering 300 men against an army of 135,000. It's really the story of deliverance of Gideon, a man who wrestled in this place of fear and faith. And as we conclude this morning, I want you to look at the last verse in your handout as a place that really, I think, highlights just how complicated this can be, not only in Gideon, but in you and I. You see, because after Gideon was shown this dream, after God responded to his faithlessness with faithfulness and strengthened him and gave him assurance and said, this is what I'm going to do. And you see Gideon now worshiping God, feeling strong, giving his people commands. What is the battle cry in verse 18? For the Lord and for Gideon. You see here sandwiched in this story, we see a picture of just how complicated we can be. Even in the midst of all of this, who was Gideon boasting in? He had learned to boast in the Lord, but he was still boasting in himself. How true is that of you? I know it's true of me. Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are saved through faith and not by works, so no man by boast. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he put it this way. This is where we're going to end. 1 Corinthians 1.26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even that things are not, to bring nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus and became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
our passage this morning, God took 300 men and did something miraculous. He humbled Gideon. And he made an impossible situation that looked incredibly dire in order to bring salvation. Years later, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross. And he delivered you and I, not by reducing an army to 300, but by rescuing the world, by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to be executed in shame for the salvation of the world. God chooses things that seem unwise to us and foolish so that we would, might recognize that he alone is the author of salvation, so that no one might boast. So this morning, my encourage to you is if you're going to boast, don't boast in yourself. Boast in the Lord because he's the one who has rescued his people. Let me pray for you, send you to your tables. Father, we thank you for the story of Gideon, incredible story of, uh, of battle and triumph and victory. Help us this morning to see that the victory does not belong to us, but to you. In the same way that the victory didn't really belong to Gideon, but to you. And this morning, as we recognize our tendency to boast, particularly in places where we are insecure or fearful, Lord, that you would help us to see that you've called us not to boast in ourselves, but to boast in you. Rather to tell of our own resumes and tell our own stories, to tell your story and to give yours so that the world might know that you are a God who is sovereign, who is love, and delights to deliver his people. We pray, Lord, would you by your mercy and grace humble us this morning so that we might boast in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.